Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's August 25th, 2017. You're listening to the best poker cast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Cuba-bound Long. <laughs> Does that mean I'm Chris Cuba-bound Casenza? Uh, I don't know. You didn't say it, so you must not be as excited about going to Cuba as I am. But uh, probably not. But I'm I'm excited nonetheless. Let <laughs> me go ahead and say that you're not excited about anything as much as I'm excited about. That's right. That's right. I'm more even keel. <laughs> yes, we are, yes, we are leaving on our Annie Up cruise on Saturday, going to Key West, one of my favorite spots, and then Havana for a day. So, um, and this is your first time down there, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. My first time down there. I know you've gone on private trips or whatever, but uh, we used to have to say that like in code before, but now it wink, doesn't wink. matter. Yeah, now I get to say you've been there. Yep. Um, but yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, very exciting stuff. And uh, at Ramsey, I, I heard his voice earlier today, so I know he's he's in town getting ready to uh, to take us on this trip. Yes, he is. He uh, he finally uh, opened all ninety eight Amazon prime boxes that were sent to my house so that was <laughs> watch uh but i'm no, looking forward to the cruise and uh we'll uh i guess we'll be back in time to do the show next week so i guess yeah, we'll get we'll back on like a wednesday right yeah so so yeah. you might actually uh you, you our fans might actually get to enjoy uh a non-abbreviated crappy show yeah. recorded on the cruise ship yeah. for the first time yeah. So. yeah we have a streak that hasn't stopped for 10 years but we don't care how crappy the show is to keep that streak alive <laughs> well, and I'm also uh, broadcasting under protest today because I didn't win the Powerball. So, dang it! Um, all right, well, let's get to the show. So, uh, well-known poker author Ashley Adams recently completed a 50-state tour of poker and has posted an article on PokerNews.com ranking his top eight poker destinations in the United States outside of Las Vegas. In order, he says: Southern California, Greater Philadelphia, Southeastern Connecticut. Florida's southeast coast, Florida's west coast, the Gulf Coast of Mississippi and Louisiana, Northern California, and Baltimore, Washington, Baltimore and Washington D.C. So, do we uh, do we agree, Chris? Oh man, Ashley does this quite often, doesn't he? He, he likes to—that's his thing, right? The travel. Yeah, I'm going to say uh, the only one that travels more visiting poker rooms in this country than me is Ashley, and he has, I he absolutely. Uh, kicks my ass at that he is on the road constantly and uh, loves it so we crossed past a couple times nice guy too um yeah, but yeah. uh so certainly this is not one of those uh clickbait lists you know where somebody has no idea what they're talking about and put something on there just to get people to click on it he, he actually put a lot of thought into this so um because he's he's got a lot of experience to back it up well um anything that puts southeastern connecticut in the top three of any list i disagree with 
<laughs> so that I'm going to disagree. Like when you started that, I thought you were going to defend it, and I'm like, oh, we're going to have our first fight. But no, you went ahead and said the same thing I was going to say. Yeah, no, I mean they have they have two card rooms. Connecticut's beautiful for people who don't have to live there or had to live there at one point. To a lot of people who don't live there, like you know, oh, I love the. I remember when I was at Foxwoods years ago. I think even before, yeah, it was before we started the magazine. We we're still at the Times. And I did an interview with, like, uh, Joe Seabach or something, and he talked about how gorgeous it was to go. He loved going back to Connecticut and everything, and I'm like, yeah, you didn't have to live there 25 years, pal. (laughs) Um, But, I mean, it's a destination article, too. It's not just where do you like to play poker the most, top eight places to play poker. It's, like, vacation destinations, as he's talking about. So, to me, Philadelphia... Oh, and Connecticut. I mean, maybe he likes the history of seeing the Liberty Bell and all that stuff. But to me, vacations. When I think of vacations, people think of theme parks and beaches, and and that stuff doesn't happen in Philadelphia and southeastern Connecticut for me. So, you know, I I think that, and even like Baltimore, Washington. Yeah, okay, we we've been there. We like that area. You and I've gone there before, but I've never gone to Washington D.C. Actually, so. Yeah, to see the history of our country and things like that, that's something. But I just don't think that the order of these are, are the way I would put them, that's for sure, as far as vacations. Well, yeah, I'm sure you could have um, 1,000 poker players do this list, and it'd be 1,000 different lists right. um, in terms of the order. Um, um, but I'm also curious that there are some on here that I'm a little dubious that should be here and some that I think should be on here. Now, you did uh, did remind me that he did spend some time making it a poker destination, so it's not just about playing poker. Right. So that might change one of them. I, I really thought it was interesting that Oklahoma didn't make this list um, because you had two really, really big rooms there with Choctaw and Windstar. Um, and they're really nice resorts, too. So in terms of places where you just need to lock yourself up and enjoy life and play poker, those, those two are good. And there's several other rooms you know, around that you can get to. And that that's certainly a bigger market for poker, I think, than, than some of these on the list. That being said, not a lot else to do in Oklahoma. Right. Play poker and hang out in the resort. So maybe that's how it fell off there. Um, and I think there's a lot of poker in the Chicagoland area, too. I mean, none of it actually in Chicago, but, uh, but that area, I think, uh, has a lot of poker. Um, and certainly there's a lot to do in Chicago, um, one of my favorite big towns. So that's also interesting that I didn't make it on there. Um, and I guess if I'm looking to take one off of here, it's probably that Baltimore, Washington, yeah. D.C., which is the last one. I mean, you know, you've got Maryland Line, which is a big room there, and then uh, MGM National Harbor, which just opened and is really a game changer up there. But that's really it. Two, you know, two big rooms. you got the Horseshoe. Uh, it's a little smaller room up in, in Baltimore. Um, and then maybe you, you fold in the Delaware rooms up there. Um, but in terms of poker, that, that's a tough one for me to, to get behind. Obviously, I'm a big history buff, so Washington, Baltimore has a lot of history, uh, a lot of sports and stuff there as well, too. But that one I think I could easily replace. Um, and I'm going to agree with you on the southern southeastern Connecticut. I mean, uh, you're talking about two really, really nice poker rooms and resorts there, but that's it. Right. Actually, I mean, you're, you're in the car for a while before you find poker somewhere else. Um, so, you know, hopefully you can – you know, uh, lock yourself up in, in Foxwoods or Mohegan Sun and be happy. Um, certainly the resorts are big enough where you could be happy. But um, And then it, to back to your point about the destination, there's nothing else to do outside of those places, I don't think. I mean, it's 
you know, a Mystic was a little short drive, and that's pretty cool. But um, outside of that, I mean, you're driving to, like, to Hartford. Yeah, well, there's nothing really to do in Hartford either. I mean, <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's, it's I mean, really... See, that was awesome, but, the, you know. The uh, thing about southeastern Connecticut is that you are close to Rhode Island. You are kind of close to Boston. You know what I mean? So you, you you could go there. New York City, too. I mean, everything's like two hours away. Right, from there, but, but I it's, mean, yeah, that, that's a destination. That's not where you plan your vacations. You know what I mean? If you're, yeah. if you're going, I mean, that's the thing is he, he, it seems to me that he took this from a, I want to go on vacation. And by the way, while I'm there, I want to be able to play poker. That's right. something. But even that, who wants to plan a vacation to greater Philadelphia and then be able to play <laughs> poker? I mean, okay, well, so I mean, there's the Liberty Bell and some other stuff there, Declaration of Independence or whatever. I mean, but after that, I mean, a vacation? That, to me, that's not a de- poker destination for me. That's that's like a, all right, well, I got to go, I guess, because my grandmother lives there and she died or something. You know what I mean? I I just don't see it well, as well, that The one thing I'll add, because I, I try to keep these brief because I know you get – Upset when I, I'm verbose in the notes, <laughs> but the he included Atlantic City in the Greater Philadelphia. Okay. So, in terms of summer, Atlantic City is not a bad place to go and has some of that stuff you're talking about. Right. Less time, it's not exciting to be there, but, um, but yeah, to make that number two on that, the other thing we can quibble about is the ranking here. I mean, some of these I'll agree with, but but to make that number two in Connecticut, number three, that's that's pretty strong, I think. Yeah. Um, Certainly, Florida Southeast Coast, I think, would be higher. There's a lot of poker action there and a ton of stuff to do down there. I actually might even question, and I hate to say this because, you know, um, but but I can't be accused of a homer by saying this, but what do you think about Florida's West Coast being included on here? Well, I thought that was apropos, given that it's vacation stuff. I mean, we have a lot of stuff here in Tampa Bay that you can do. And then also, when you think of the West Coast, you really could put Orlando in either one of those. I realize that it's probably yeah, closer yeah. to the, but if you if you say I'm going to stay in North Tampa and or whatever, and I'm going to go play at the Hard Rock and let's say just you know Lucky's or whatever, um, and then from there if you if you are like 25 minutes outside that toward Orlando, then you're only like a half an hour from some of the major theme parks or whatever. So I mean. It, I don't think that's a problem. Plus, you got both, you know, all the beaches that you could go to from there, and um, I, I don't. I think I don't know. I, I, it's not like he said Florida's northeast coast or something. It's not like he wasn't like Jacksonville and Daytona Beach and all that. He was talking about, you know, probably us and in Sarasota and that. So I don't. I, but I think it is as far as vacations. Like in other words. That's what it right. seems to me that he was talking about. You're going to go on plan a vacation. Oh, and by the way, while you're there, you could play poker. Then I think Florida's West Coast belongs on there because we have tons of, of – Oh, yeah, absolutely. Tours. This is a fantastic place to, to yeah. visit. So it's, just, it's just you're not going to get as much poker here, I think. I mean, we've got two really big rooms, another room that's – and then two other rooms that are decent size, but um, that's about it. So, you know, some of these other places, if, if poker is a big part of your vacation um, – yeah, if it's you a big part of your vacation, place. right? And then, then the southeast part of Florida has like fourteen poker rooms and like a half an hour drive or something. That's that's a lot more poker within reasonable driving distance. We have like five rooms within an hour's distance if you're in the middle of it here, I guess. So that's really not a lot of choices. Um, same with, like you said, Baltimore, Washington. I mean, I think you got Perryville there too. So you got maybe four or five rooms. Even if you include. Delaware, you got eight, six, seven, eight rooms, maybe, but that's a decent drive now. 
for you to hit. Well, yeah, it's, it's a hard drive to get to some of the Jellyware rooms too. Yeah. So. Um, also surprised that Utah didn't make this list, Chris. Utah. <laughs> and I bring that up because I got a call like this week, and uh, I answer the phone, and hey, this is Scott from Andy Up, and the guy's like, "That's exactly who I need to talk to," and I'm like, "All right." And he's like, I'm going to be up in Utah for a couple weeks, and I need to get my fix. We're going to play poker in Utah. (laughs) And I'm like, uh, I had to pause and think for a minute. I'm like, did somebody just ask me this question? (laughs) Are you sure you said Utah? Yeah. Yeah, you need to go to West Wendover. It's right on the border. And I'm like, where in Utah are you going to be? He's like, oh, near Salt Lake City. And I'm like, all right, it's about an hour and a half, two-hour drive. He's like, I need my fix. Oh, (laughs) man. Uh, you might need to think about that before you plan to go to Utah. Because <laughs> like, maybe that's the other list. The, the flip side, we need to get Ashley to do the, the bottom eight poker destinations. In yes. Yeah. Where do you have to travel the farthest to play poker and have a vacation? Utah. <laughs> <laughs> Number one on the list three times. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. An interesting list, though. I'm curious what our, um, what our listeners have to say. So hopefully yeah. they will. Reach out to us by email or uh, on PokerRadius.com and, and let us know what they think. So, uh, the World Poker Tour and online poker programmer Poker Central have announced a deal to make live streams of WPT final tables available on that web-based service. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to say. Congratulations. Well, yeah, it's making the the service more valuable. I think. I think yeah. it's ten bucks a month. Um, I think. Um, so it's you know the more live content and fresh content they have, rather than repeats of other stuff, I think it makes it a more viable business. So that helps out a little bit. Uh, you know, the other thing too, though, um, one of the reasons I want to put this on the on the notes was that um, I'm starting to kind of reconcile my my mind that I'm older than I really think I am. Oh no! <laughs> Even though. I'm not- often admit that I'm older than I really think I am, right? Um, but, you know, we always talked about, you know, because Poker Central talked started out by being on television, right? And mm-hmm. then they got rid of the deal and, and went to the web, and we wondered, you know, what that meant for, you know, everything, right? Um, it's really amazing to me now how many people have completely cut the cord on their cable or satellite and are watching things just on their computer, uh, and how easy it's getting for people to do that. So um, I think I might have sold this short a little bit that, um, but it being an internet service uh, might actually really work better better for it. That there might be people out there. Uh, obviously, you have to be into poker, but might be willing to pay ten bucks uh, a month to have one more channel of stuff that's really into their interest. Yeah, that's Word. that's true. I mean, I've actually explored doing this. I'm I'm still on the fence about it, but I might still end up doing this because I, I mean, now that I've got you know the services like Netflix and Hulu and things like that, it's like you know my my uh, kids don't have regular cable anymore either, so they have just their Netflix, Hulu, HBO Go, or whatever, and and it makes sense if you, instead of spending a hundred and well, I guess normal cable is probably like fifty or whatever, but you know, they've got to spend 40 for, you know, their internet and then pick and choose all the cart, the stuff they really want to see because they're really into movies or they're really into documentaries or they're, they can get their fix on Netflix with binge watching and stuff. So if it means adding 10 bucks a month to that and making it still cheaper than if you just had regular cable, you're probably right. I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking about it. There's some things I just can't let go of that I can't get unless I'm doing it illegally or whatever. So I don't do that. But... 
Um, you're probably right. I mean, I, I still I think it's still going to be a struggle, but I agree with you that if you're a hardcore poker TV person, you know, especially if you already got rid of cable and you're missing it, that $10 a month for that is probably worth it to you. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I still think you're old, though, regardless of the poker central angle. <laughs> You've been old long before you realized it. <laughs> Very true. I, I, older. How about that? Yeah, older. I'm even older than I thought I was. <clears throat> uh, any updates? The schedule for the Annie Up NorCal Classic Annie Up Poker Tour Series at Thunder Valley Casino Resort near Sacramento has been set. All the information for this 10-event series, October 16th to the 22nd, is available at AnnieUpMagazine.com slash Thunder Valley. Hollywood Casino Aurora near Chicago will be awarding 10 Annie Up Poker Cruise balcony packages for a December 11th sailing to Jamaica and Haiti in a mega free roll on November 12th. The 100 players with the most cash game hours logged during the promotion period will earn a seat, as well as 30 players who win their way in through three monthly free rolls. Players can earn seats in the monthly free rolls by logging at least 60 hours of cash game play in a month or by playing on all Wednesday tournaments during the month. For more information, visit AnnieUpCruises.com. Each week, we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast.anyupmagazine.com and that they haven't won something from us in the past year. Just like we do with Call the Four and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. comes from Vic G. could be called the Vic G Show sometimes. <laughs> says, uh, I've heard interviews with Phil Ivey and Dan Jungleman Cates. says, recently where the games in Macau were discussed. One poker variant that seems to be gaining popularity is short deck Texas Hold'em. In this variant, the deuces, trays, fours, and fives are removed from the deck. Everyone puts in an ante with the button, putting up a blind equal to two times the ante. With no small cards in the deck, players are dealt better starting hands, which increases the action. Starting hand equities are much closer, so there's more action. Is this the future of poker? There was a time when seven-card stud was the king of poker, Poker Room spread stud almost exclusively. Then Texas Hold'em came on scene, and stud was all but obliterated. Hold'em has been pretty uh, has been pretty sticky. A uh, few players are migrating to Omaha or Big O, and even minor tweaks to Hold'em in the form of pineapple never took root. Will the added action and easy of transition uh, to short deck Texas Hold'em signal the emergence of the next king of poker? I like this uh, I because I... I play what's known as strip deck um uh you know um what the <laughs> what the hell am i trying to say uh pitch know you know a setback <laughs> so they strip the deck and step back of everything except uh the deuce the tray the 10 the jack king queen and ace so that the bids are always like four and five and three and things like that and it it makes the game that much more exciting and, and there's also more chances you can take because you know you're if you've got like ace king something you can try to bid four even though you don't have the jack because you think the jack's going to be out there because a strip deck and things like that so very interesting here I, you'd have to reprogram yourself i think to play this game and, and learn the odds now because things are fewer cards so odds change things like that happen but this this sounds very exciting yeah a couple things i'll say one i don't see this really taking off in casinos in the united states because i think you might have some regulatory problems with having two kinds of decks in play 
Mm. You know, obviously you got to take out these, you know, these one, two, three, four um, ranks out of a deck. And I know here in Florida, the, the laws are really much the deck has to be exactly 52 cards and blah, blah, blah. So um, that might be tough. And if it's not really able to be dealt in casinos, I think that's going to slow down its growth, I would think. Now, that might change. There might be a way around that. I don't know. But uh, I would I would caution about getting too excited about this. Um, but, yeah, certainly, I mean, it sounds like uh, it's easy to see how the action could be um, – uh, kicked up a notch with this. Uh, now I got to think the smart players are going to realize what this means, right? So I mean, it's just the same with going from um, Hold'em to Omaha. As all of a sudden you get all excited about those combinations, right? But it, it just means that players are going to be playing two more, too many more hands than they should because they're excited about the possibilities. So, right. um, so even though it's probably going to get some people with more action, or certainly takes out the you know, all the hand, all the times you fold nine deuce, you're not going to have that happen anymore, right? So you're going to have fewer hands that are foldable, but they might not. The ones that you have may not be as playable as they are in the current version of Hold'em. I would think so. No, nobody's making a wheel in this game. Yeah. So here's the other interesting thing I'm thinking about here is the six is like God. That's like the Zika virus of this game, isn't it? Yeah. Because it, in regular Hold'em, I mean, the ace is the low end of the wheel, right? But it's still a powerful card on its own. Um, but a six, it's like, you got to have to make that straight. It's going to be the seven, eight, nine, ten. You know, there's no five the other way. So if I'm dealt a six in my hand, I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen with it. I mean, even a pair of sixes would, you know. It's like the nine, nine of Omaha. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. So, um, I don't know. I mean, this might be interesting. I mean, I don't know if we'd ever do it in a home game because it would take like seven hours for us to go through the deck and make sure everything's taken out of it. Well, I mean, you make in. another deck for it when you call the game. That's you just true. grab it. But yeah. But it would be interesting to see in action how it actually um, how it plays and what it actually means. Um, and, and to see how excited people get with it, you know. you know, Part of the reason some of these other variations haven't taken off as much as you might think, is that I think it's very quick for the good players to figure out how to exploit it, and then the bad players get in because they're all excited, and they look down and like, oh, my money's all gone. <laughs> my money lasted longer and hold on, I'm going to go back to that. So uh, I suspect that might be the same issue here with this game. So uh, to get back to your regulation thing, I didn't realize that it was that specific on it had to be a 52-card deck game. I just had to be card games. Like, there are California, they play games with jokers, right? So that would be 53 cards. So they obviously have altered the 52-card well, yeah, every, deck. Right. Every, every jurisdiction is different. So I don't want to make a blanket statement that, that you can't deal games without a, a full 52-card deck. But there are jurisdictions that I think are pretty insistent on that. So, wow. Um, yeah, that would suck. It would have to be something where you'd petition, I think, to get something changed. Um, it's definitely exciting. I mean, it, it, it is fun to think about. You know, you'd have to. You're right. You'd have, it's just like an oh my, you'd have to tighten up because you, you're going to get more people with more quality hands. So it's not. It's not like oh, I got I got jacks. It's going to be good. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> there's somebody there who's clearly could have kings, queens, or aces right now because it's. Uh, it's a tighter deck now. It, it's 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 more compact, but uh, it it definitely would take some of the boredom out of the game, you know. Well, it, and, and think about this: uh, you're going to lose. You're not going to be able to say deuces never loses anymore. <laughs> 
and that's the whole reason we get together once every couple of months to play poker. And no, no one's gonna like look at you funny when you say two or three instead of deuce or tray, right? <laughs> look at all the problems this game is solving. And I don't know. Oh, uh, but no, okay. serious thing too. I mean, one of the things that we talked about at the Poker TDA Summit this year, and I know I mentioned on the show, is that there are, there's an increasing number of tournament directors and poker room managers concerned that poker is not as much fun as it used to be, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, we don't have the boom that we have anymore. I think a lot of us uh, have talked about how we, we don't really see how a boom can come back in, unless online poker just goes crazy again, which doesn't seem likely. So, you know, for some people, poker is boring, you know, particularly if you get into it and you're telling them, you know, they, they go to one of our poker one-one classes and we tell them what hands to play, right? We're not telling them play hands with deuces, trays, fours, and fives in them, right? Right. So, you know, so they sit there, they keep folding after hand, after hand, after hand, and then they get a hand, and then somebody, you know, pips them or whatever, and they lose money. That's frustrating. You know, we're, we're really in this world now where people just like things to move quickly. And um, the fact that you could take this out and make hands more playable, that, that actually might be a case for bringing some fun back to poker and bringing new people in. I mean, it's it's not a poker boom thing, but, you know. Yeah, and it's not fire. like it's full-blown carnival poker either. I mean, this is – it's still the same game. Right. It's just fewer cards to make it easier for people to make hands and make it more exciting for them. So eh, I, think, I, think it, I don't know if it could catch on, but I think it's something that home games might explore now they're hearing about it. You know what I mean? It sounds like it's more action, like action hold them, you know. All right, find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been, email us at podcast at com, and we'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. This week's prize is an upgraded membership to PokerRadius.com, poker's best social networking site and home to the Annie Up group discussions. Comes from John Discapoli. That's close enough, right? I think I, I, yeah, I, think I got sure. his name right. He says, we have a long-running home cash game that rotates between a few hosts' homes. It's a 1-1 game with a $100 buy-in or the biggest stack if you come late. Most of the players know each other, with some new players joining the game over the years. It's quite friendly, however, played seriously. Here is a situation that arose recently when I was host. This is important as we usually look to the host for the final ruling. Of note, there is one player who sponsors the meetup site, so sometimes we look to him, but ultimately it's the host ruling. About four hours into the game, this was crazy pineapple. There was uh, some preflop betting with about $20 in the pot, and after the flop, player C made a bet. Player M raised, player C went all in for 70 and player M called and had player C covered. There was about $160 in the pot. Sometimes in crazy pineapple, the dealer will warn players, has everyone discarded? As a way to make sure players are down to two cards before the turn. But this time, without any warning, since one player was all in, the dealer quickly turned over the turn in the river. Player M tabled his cards and announced, Trip fives. Player C threw his cards into the muck and then said, Oh no, player M tabled three cards. It looks like he didn't discard. Player C immediately reached into the muck and retrieved his cards. Player M had pocket fives and some other blank card. The flop had a five, so it was pretty obvious what player M intended to keep, his pocket fives doesn't really matter in this instance what player C had, except that uh, except that he did only have two cards. Here is where the debate started. The house rule is, if you have three cards when the turn hits the table, your hand is dead. That rule applied uh, means player M's hand is dead and player C should be shipped the pot. 
However, player seized cards were in the muck, which also makes the hand dead. Player C claimed that he tossed his cards into the muck upon hearing player M announcing trip fives, and that is what happened, but very quickly. I think if the dealer had not been as quick to deal out the turn in River, we may have noticed player M still had three cards and his hand would have been dead. Player M wins the pot. <clears throat> oh, sorry, and player M wins the pot. But the deal out uh, went very quickly after the all-in and call, followed quickly by the tabling of the player of the player M's and player C's cards to the muck. Discussion ensued. There were some offers made, but I don't recall the details, except that there was a mention of a chop pot. I ultimately decided that the way to keep things friendly was let's just chop the pot. No one is too worse off. However, upon further thought, since my house rule is that if you have three cards, uh, your hand is dead, I think I should have ruled the pot to player C even though he threw his hand into the muck. I'd be curious to know how you would have ruled in your home game and how this might have been ruled by a poker room manager. First of all, let's let's have a round of applause for player M finally making it in. <laughs> I know, it's always A, B, or C. It's always A, B, and C, so it's good to see that we're making progress here in the poker world where M gets into a call-the-floor situation. That's a right? big-ass home game. you got players <laughs> all the way down to M. <laughs> uh, well, here, here's a couple of things. One, this is where home games can be fun and where home games can get off the rails at the same time. Yeah. Um, what I like about this situation in a home game is that you can sit there and have a conversation and try to figure out a fair scenario, even if it's not probably the correct scenario, right? Where you don't have that freedom in a casino. The bad news is, is if you come to that agreement and then someone goes home and then tell somebody the next day, hey, this is what happened last night, they're like, what? Why would you do that? And then all of a sudden the home game blows up in the next one over the argument. So right. uh, so it's a, it's a good and a bad thing. So uh, I would think from a strict standpoint, based on their house rules, which makes a big difference here, uh, I don't think there's any way that anybody but player M wins his pod. And I'm not just saying that because I'm happy he's finally in the game. <laughs> Um, you know, if the house rule says if you have three cards, your hand is dead. And that's a good house rule, I think, because now that, that really puts the onus on you as a player to remember, hey, I need a discard, um, you know, whether anybody reminds me or not. You know, uh, you don't need your mother in the game to remind you. You know the rules, and once the hand's betting's done on the flop, you you got to toss a card. Or you got to tell, hey, folks, hold up. I haven't tossed my card yet. That You know, that's on you, right? So the fact that we specifically say in this home game that that's your punishment for not paying attention I think you, you got to go with that. So, well, his hand's dead. Now, I have really no sympathy for the guy that mucks after the other guy declares what he has. You know, unless that's the rule in the home game that the declaration works. But in the real world, cards speak, and you got a table hand to win. And as a player, I need to wait until I actually see a hand before I muck. Um, so, if you're one of these players that like takes everybody's um, word. Uh, let me remind you, we're playing poker here. People lie. <laughs> you know? yeah. Some people call bluffs, some people call other things, but uh, people lie. So I'm never releasing my hand until I actually see a winning, a hand that beats me. So in this case, you know, I, I feel bad for him. You know, I don't think he, he was irresponsible in his mucking. I think he trusted the other guy. Um, but obviously this is a reminder that there are other rules in play and something else could happen. So don't be so quick to muck your hand and wait for a hand now had he turned his card tabled his cards on the table so everybody saw them and then mocked when that guy said now that's a different story because it's pretty easy to retrieve them from the muck and we go back to what we always say uh the the right hand 
the proper hand should always win regardless of whatever else happens. But it doesn't sound like by the description here that he tabled his hand, right? He just mucked it. So, wait a minute. Yeah, he just mucked it. So, what's your actual ruling? What would you do? Are you Right now, in this situation, are you giving it to the guy who mucked his hand? No, I'm giving it to Player M. He was the only one that had cards left. Oh, the, the guy who had three cards. Had oh, okay. So, you're giving it to Player M because he had three cards, the other guy mucked. And the other guy mucked. So, he was the only one with cards. I mean, it kind of sucks, but that's just the reality of it by the way that they, they set their, their rules. I think that's the only way you could really do it. Now, people want to come up with a in that scenario, if I'm player M, I'm going to feel a little bit bad about it because that's not a scenario where I think you're winning on a technicality. By trying to win on a technicality, you're winning just because that's how everything happened. And uh, clearly, I know I didn't have the best hands. So I would probably be in a home game environment. I would be open to you know some sort of discussion uh, to make things a little more fair. Um, but I would not criticize a player M for not being open to that discussion. But clearly, to me, Player M is in control of this pot. Well, let me ask you this. See, I'm going to disagree with you. This is good. Awesome. Good. <clears throat> All right. So there are rules in place in poker that we go by, and the house rules are the rules that we have to go by. The house rule in this place is if you have three cards, when the turn hits oh, wait, the table, on, you're dead. On. I'm sorry. Before you go on, I'm confused. Player M was the one that had three cards. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. No, yeah. I don't want player M to have it. I went the. You went the guy who mucked to to win. No, there were three people at the end, weren't there? No, it's just C and M. Oh, I thought there was a third player. That's where I got confused. It says uh, after the flop, player C made a bet. Player M raised. Player C went all in. Player M called. That's it. Player C's covered. I, That's it. I back. All right, all right. Forget everything I just said. Player C has to win this because <laughs> player M's hand. Was dead at the turn when he right before the guy mucks this player hand should have been dead already. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. First of all, it it was confusing. I thought there were three players here. It seems like that, but it's not. It was just so long. It felt like there had to be other players involved. I'm Uh, sorry, I'm sorry. I take everything back. Yes, absolutely. Player M's card were dead first, so it doesn't matter what player C did at that point. Right. So I think player C gets the money, but at the same time, his hand is in the muck, and if he he went into a retrieve him, but like, how do we know he retrieved his cards? You know that kind of thing goes by. Now that's a if you went to the house rules, what are the house rules on player mucking their cards? Once it touched the muck, his hand's oh. dead. Yeah, so that's a better discussion. So it seems to me that he reached over and just grabbed his cards, right, on top of the deck. And there doesn't seem to be any discussion here from John that people did not think that the cards that he pulled out of the muck were his, right. So, yeah, I mean, if, if they mucked him and they got shuffled him and somebody's like, you know, getting ready to shuffle the next one, then that's too bad at that point. But uh, but if his cards are retrieval, it goes back to what I guess I said when I thought there were three players. For God, I'm really confused why I thought three players were in there. But anyhow, it still goes back to that is that, you know, if the cards are retrievable, they can be retrieved, even though I think there's a lot of players out there that have been told that once they're mucked, they got to put lighter fluid and light a match to it, which right. is not the case. So, right. so if, if they were retrievable... Player C gets the pot. If they're not retrievable, then it has to go to player M because he's the only one that has. But his cards. hand is dead. I think they. I think I agree with his split pot rule because we're doing what's best for the game here. They both broke rules. They both and hit the first guy breaking the rule resulted in the second guy breaking a rule. It's not his fault for breaking the rule, but at the same time, we can't retrieve his cards to prove he won, and he needs cards to win the pot. I think they should split the pot. I think he's right splitting the pot here. I. I, I mean. 
But if you couldn't retrieve his cards, they did retrieve yeah. this guy's cards. So I think that C should have won had they retrieved his hand. So, but if you couldn't retrieve his hand, then I think they should split the pot and make it, you know, hey. The other thing, too, is here's the deal. Let's say you and I are in this hand. And, you know, we got the whole dog and pony show going on at our game all the time with all the three of us, me, you, and Fass are always joking around with each other and busting each other's balls a little bit. So let's say you and I are in a crazy pineapple hand, then you go all in after the flop, and I call, and I'm like, I got you covered. And you're like, oh, any empire is on. You know, we're joking around. And the dealer goes, doot, doot. And you're like, what the? F-? You know, and he, he dealt out the turn in the river, and you hadn't had a chance to discard yet. Meanwhile, you somehow knew right away what you're all in with and had already discarded. Now, I'm screwed because the dealer was doot doot real right, quick, well, you know? No, so, all right, so let's talk about it. Maybe, maybe I'm misunderstanding what you're saying. I, I, I think I know what you're saying is that the dealer quickly puts it out without giving you a chance to discard, right? Right, which what it seemed like in this hand, the way he wrote it. But has the other person already declared what he had or showed his cards? Because no. if not, that goes back to the whole scenario where you, those cards need to be put back in the deck and reshuffle out a new turn after the action ends, which yeah. is the action doesn't end until you discard your card. Yeah. See, I don't, I, I, I agree. I think that I don't think he tabled his hands. I don't think anybody tabled their hands. I think it went, if I'm reading it correctly, he says, but this time without warning, since one player was all in, the dealer quickly turned over his turn in the river without warning. Right. He just went boom, boom. Meanwhile, player M's like, wait a minute. I'm tabling my cards. I got trip five. So I didn't have a chance to discard because we were all still trying to figure out who was all in and who had who covered and everything, and the guy went boom, boom with the turn on the river. Meanwhile, the guy who went all in probably went all in, grabbed his card, and fl- flicked it because he knew what two he was keeping when he was all in. He had aces or something. You know, I mean, it's just... It, it, now, what well, the, the only problem there is that the player didn't speak up and say, hey, I've got three cards, and you didn't give me a chance to discard. Yeah, he, he didn't speak up. But, I mean, that's the other thing, too, is if you did it so quick and you're up, like... He's given up know. that argument. Yeah, but, Without that argument, yeah, I do believe that you would do the proper thing, which was to hold those cards off to the side, complete the action, shuffle them back in the deck, and then you put your new turn and river out. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering, is if if it was so quick, because the dealer was excited, it was an all-in pot, and he forgot that it was crazy pineapple, because that happened, how many times out of time were Faso or I will stop the dealer and go, wait, yep. what yep. do they discard, yep. you know, because that's the table captain thing, and... If that didn't happen, I would say, wait a minute, let's reanalyze what's happened here. And, okay, the dealer is the one that's at fault here. Throw away your cards, and let's put the turn of the river back in and shuffle. And, you know, that. so there, if that's not clear here, that's what I would have thought about, too, before I made a ruling. But other than that, if it was like, hey, you had plenty of time to throw your card away, I can't be relied on to tell you to discard, then, then M's at fault first, but... Well, and I don't know how far the house rule goes. I mean, I, it's got to be a little bit farther than if you have three cards and the turn hits the table, your hand is dead. Because that would, in, if that's the entire rule, then in your scenario, it doesn't matter whether the dealer is premature or not. So you got to, you get now, now you're on notice that you got to be sure the dealer doesn't act very yeah. quickly. I think that's unfortunate. I would be, um, your hand is dead once there's action on the turn. If you still have a significant action on the turn, if you still have three cards. Because that still gives you the chance to say, hey, whoa, something happened here. No action's happened yet, so no one's been affected by this yet. But you didn't give me a chance to discard, and now I'm discarding, so now it's back up the action and, and place that card back. Yeah. So if that's not the house rule there, John, I, w- I would add that corollary to it. But Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Another reason to not play games that aren't hold'em or stud 
<laughs> or what? It's just that those crazy. That's what makes it crazy. Yeah, crazy. All right, it's O'Malley's move time. We have the tournament ride along continuing. Here comes episode six, and we'll meet you on the other side. Hello again. We make it two and a half big blinds to go. The big blind shoves for four big blinds. We snap call, and he turns over the ace of clubs, deuce of clubs. Our opponent flops trips aces, and we don't improve. We're down to eight big blinds and are still in the same round when this next situation occurs. We're in the cutoff when the under the gun and an MP limp. Each has an average size stack of 13 big blinds. It's to us, and we see the jack of hearts, nine of hearts. What do we do with this? What's the move? All right, again, I'm shoving. We're on fumes with eight big blinds. I mean, I know some people disagree about the 15 big blinds shoving, which I like. They like to be 10, but no one, I have never met anybody that doesn't think once you get below 10, you're not in shover, shover full mode. So, yeah. um, And then we have a suited one gapper here. We got two limp calls of dead money. Um, these players are at 13 big blinds and should be in shover fold mode too. And since they limped, I'm going to assume that they don't have a strong enough hand to shove with, so... There's a little extra incentive to think that they might fold, and we could pick up a lot of dead money here. Yeah, I mean, sometimes people limp with great hands uh, when they're when they're short, but I, I can't be concerned with that right now. I have very few hands left. I'm at eight big blinds, so yeah, I'm all in too. So, all right, we're both all in. Let's see what happens. Hello again. I think this is a perfect situation to chip up a bit, and I think we have some fold equity here. We shove our eight big blinds in. It's folded to the second limper who calls and shows us an offsuit ace six. And after the board runs down, jack, nine, deuce, king, eight, we luckily more than double up. We've made it to the final two tables of the tournament. Top ten get paid, and we're sitting with 15 big blinds. It's folded to us in the MP, and we look down at the ace of diamonds, jack of diamonds. We make it three big blinds to go. The player to our immediate left calls, and the button raises to six big blinds, leaving him with 20. It's folded back to us. What's the move? All right, it's time for the AdvancedPokerTrain.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. This comes from Sean Austin, who I think is a first-time, oh, yep, long-time listener, first-time emailer, Chris. Yay! All right, he says his hand took place uh, in a local league he occasionally plays in. He would describe this league as more competitive than a free bar league, but still with a mix of skill levels. We have our fair share of donkeys, uh, but also have some guys that have done very well making WSOP circuit final tables, winning circuit rings, and having nice main event caches. Wow, (laughs) that might be the toughest free game ever. Uh, this was the first time playing on Thursday night, and he said, I learned it tends to be a little bit more recreational due to the triple style of play. I decided to go play as practice for the WSOP circuit at Cherokee that kicked, uh, that w- was going to kick off that weekend. Turning is an $80 buy-in for 10000 in chips with unlimited rebuys for the first five levels with an optional $60 add-on good for twenty k after five levels. Levels are 20 minutes long. And you tend to see quite a bit of splash around prior to the rebuy period ending, uh, at which point it settles down and the game becomes a little more ABC. At this point in the tournament, we are past the rebuy period and currently playing eight-handed with 300 antis and 1,000, 2,000 blinds. 56 people enter the tournament. At this point, we are sitting around 40 left. Our villain is currently the table chip leader. I don't know his exact stack, but I guess he was sitting on around 90 to a 100,000. 
um, at least, as he was running quite well and won a major all-in a few hands prior. He made some questionable plays in the first few levels that continued to get lucky on which allowed him to amass a large stack early on, but he has settled down and was playing tighter by this point. The villain is under the gun and calls the 2K blind, and the next player folds, and it's on us with a king jack of spades. Uh... He says, uh, I'm also at squiggly 63K in chips, if that helps. All right. Um, I think I, if I'm going to play this hand, I, normally I, I like to raise when I'm playing pots like this, but I, I'm i probably, if I'm going to play it, I'm probably just going to limp with this hand. I I, I don't know what I'm going to... I don't like this hand at all. I don't really like King Jack of Spades. Um, it's such a trappy hand. Uh, and the guy who's running hot is under the gun limping. Um, not that I think he has a a big hand or anything. And if you're saying he's playing tighter, then I don't think that means he's got aces there doing that. But uh, if I'm gonna, if I got one limp, maybe I'll, you know, since I've got one limp, maybe I'll join the limp party and just come in and see a flop. Because um, I mean, it's a it, it's a potential hand. It's just not a great hand. Um, if it was if it wasn't suited, I might I would probably just fold it. Uh, but if since it's suited and you know th- there's only there's no real pressure behind us. It's not like if we're facing a raise. If it was a raise, we'd probably let it go. So I'm, I might just limp. I know raising here is probably the optimal play if you're going to play the cards. But I just feel like I'd rather just throw two K in there, see if I get to see a cheap flop, and hit it big, and then go with it. You know, I, I don't want to just put money in for no reason sometimes so i like to mix it up once in a while i'm gonna try limping with this hand um all right here's obviously people know my opinion on king jack i hate it uh they get the trap hand gets you in trouble i don't care whether it's suited here or not um lots of things are lining up here uh beyond that very solid advice as to just walk away from this hand um we are under the gun plus two so not a terrific position um but here's my big problem with it. I mean, and we're deep, and I know a lot of people will say, hey, you're deep in chips, you know, why not take a shot at uh, maybe hitting lucky here? Um, but why do we want to enter a pot with a trappy hand in bad position when already a guy who has more chips than us has limped is already in the hand? Aren't we just setting ourselves up to get potentially eliminated with this why why would we not want to wait and, and enter a pot when we know the guy that has more ships with us why not we generally if we if we have the luxury and we certainly do with this ship stack of waiting and entering pots against him when we have a better hand or feel comfortable that we can bet him off his hand where i uh, i think i think the fact that we think hey maybe we can flop a spade flush here and get this guy's chips that, that's the reason the slot machines do so well in the casino um, you know, people are always hoping for. It's why, why we just went out and bought ten Powerball tickets this week, right? Yeah, we're dreamers, and I, I think that's a dreamer thing. And poker shouldn't be about dreaming; it should be about playing solidly here. So, there's just to me, there's absolutely no reason to even entertain playing this hand at all. I'm going to mock, watch the fireworks, and wait for for our next hand that I feel that I have a better edge at. But well. I don't. I mean, I I understand what you're saying, um, but if we have sixty three thousand, seeing a flop for two, not that big of a deal, especially if you hit it right and he hits it wrong. I mean, I know what you're saying about the whole the what ifs and and 
Yeah, because how many times are we, hey, it's only 2000 I got 63000 I can afford it. And then all of a sudden, a king or jack flops and maybe another spade or something like that. Now, all of a sudden, you get excited. And next thing you know, at the end of the hand, you're at a, a decision point that's going to leave you with like 20000 left. And yeah, when that happens, you almost always lose. And then you look back and I'm like, gosh, I just lost 40000 on this crappy hand. Why do that to yourself? You know, you're, you're under no pressure at all to play right now. So, you know, it doesn't mean you have to wait for great hands, but you have to wait for great situations. And this is not a great situation. Mm. In fact, that's a really dangerous situation, I would argue. Yeah. No, I, I see what you're saying. Like I said, I, I, I'm i not going to raise this hand. I mean, it, it, the other thing, too, is if, you, if you're going to raise, then you're going to play. It doesn't matter what two cards you're playing. You're playing the people. Right, exactly. So it doesn't matter you have king jack. That's the other thing too. So if you're going to raise, do that. If you're going to limp, then you're going to have to hit it or read them really well. I, me, I like I like uh I like speculating a lot. I, I like to read people after the flop and I have position on this guy. I you know, I just maybe I maybe I'm changing my mind to raise too if I'm going to play it. You know, maybe I don't, but I think I like to limp once in a while. If you're going to play, I think you need to raise. And here's why I wouldn't limp with this. Because this is what happens is when you get a lot of chips like this, and we're at 63, you know, so we got 30-some big blinds here right now. You're like, oh, I can afford to put 2,000 in. And if I hit hard, then I stick in. If not, I don't. Well, you do that 10, 12 hands, and you don't hit anything. Now it's costly, right? So you got to get out of that that slow bleed mentality where, again, that's a Powerball ticket you're buying. Oh, I'll put it in and... Chances are I'm not going to hit, but if I do hit, that'd be great. You know, you can afford that when it's a two-dollar Powerball ticket. You make fifty thousand dollars a year, <laughs> but when you and you know, your chips are your only weapons here, so I don't want to keep bleeding off two thousand chips at a time just to hope I hit a miracle flop. So if I'm if you're going to play it, I think you got to raise and represent, and take control of his hand. That's going to be probably more difficult as it goes on. That's why I think neither one of those sound great, and I'm going to fold. But. Um, and this is a case where I don't think I can really defend a limp. All right. Well, I, I like to speculate, and for 2000 from 63 you know, I really don't have a problem with doing that. It's not going to do it every single and hand. I'm glad people like you out there, because that's what gets the Powerball jackpot up to $750 million, Chris. Yeah, yeah. But see, I hit it every once in a while. You don't. <laughs> um, you just don't get anything for it. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. what I Like I said, I like to mix it up, too. There are times where I'll just play the people and raise and position or I'll I'll raise this is a fairly decent hand it's, I know it's a trap hand I agree with you but if you're under the gun plus two if you're under the gun guy's limping with a small pair or just a suited ace then it's not like you're in danger of him you know crushing you if you flop top pair it just it depends if the, you know if, and if you want your answer now then you raise now you want to raise now and see if the under the gun comes awake and makes it four times your raise and all of a sudden you're okay I know he limped with aces but I just like to I like to speculate, you know. Flop comes ace of spades, three of spades, X. You know, I, I love that flop, and I, I and if you I guess we always talk about before about if you have the discipline to get away from it. If you don't flop it hard, you get out for two grand. I think it's worth it when you have sixty three. You know, it's not like you have ten. As long as you're disciplined to know that you don't keep doing that for the next right. Hour yeah, keep, I'm not going to keep speculative keep thousand, right. but that tends to be happening. Is that's when you when you're comfortable with that mentality, you're comfortable doing that often. So now you're going to get a pair of fours on the next hand. You're going to put the two thousand in. 
And then, you know, you're going to get a suited Ace 10 or something. Oh, it's worth putting a 2,000 in, see if I hit. And next thing you know, that's how you end up being a short stack without actually seeing flops or turns. So just be cognizant of that if you want to. Every once in a while, it's good to mix it up. And, you know, hey, this is the one time this level that I'm going to speculate. All right, that's fine. But but generally, I think the speculators out there can't can't help themselves. (laughs) They're constantly speculating, and then you lose your chips. All right, so what happens? All right, yeah, we're not even to the flop yet. So, <laughs> uh, so here it says, yes, I know another one of these hands. Um, I have a somewhat tight but aggressive image. Uh, I've shown I'm not afraid to raise and three bet, but I've mostly taken out pots without getting the showdown. He says, I think it's important to note that part of the purpose of playing this tourney was to practice a few plays in preparation for the rebuy circuit event at Cherokee over the weekend, and I wanted to work on better developing a polarized three betting range I'm looking for additional opportunities to steal blinds and antes. This mindset went into my decision-making for deciding whether or not to open with King Jack from the low jack. I was not worried about the remaining players to my left, and I had proper position on the players that would concern me, and thus I decided this was a good spot to try and open to either steal the dead money or take it down with a C-bet if one of the blinds or under the gun called me. With 10400 under the pot, I bet out six k. right, so he's raising the six k. Yeah. Now... <clears throat> The way he phrased it here, that makes sense. And now you're now you're working on. I mean, because that three bet stuff is tough to do, especially when you have uh, an inferior, uh, likely an inferior hand, as we have here, up against a chip leader. So if you're working on skills, you know, uh, all right, I'll defend you at that point. Um, yeah, and this isn't a, this isn't a three bet, but I understand what he's saying. This is just yeah, a raise, yeah. but yeah, right. Um, I don't know if I like that amount though. Because, I mean, you make it six to go when it's just regular 1,000, 2,000. You know, now you've got a limper in the hand already, so you're going to get callers with that. So now now you're you're hoping that the guys behind you don't call. And I don't understand that whole part why he's not worried about the people to the left. What does that mean? How does he know? Wait, he can read their minds? He knows that they already have folding hands? That's kind of pretty... Well, I've got to look at ahead here, and I guess there's some... some tidbits for that too as well why he thought but yeah otherwise yeah without without that information yeah i'd be curious as to know why he's not worried because but if i'm gonna he, raise i'd probably make it like 10 i'm not gonna make it six I, I think six is too inviting for especially the chip leader at the table who's already only got two in already got two in there and he's got 100 grand in front of him you know all he's got to do is call four to win 10 now to win 16 he's getting four well, to one on his money if one of our big goals here is to steal the blinds, then that's better enough to steal the blinds. So yeah, you need to bet more than push that. pull situation here, and we're trying to. Our idea is to push people out of the pot, and I think you're right. You know, this bet is pulling people into the pot, and that's the last thing we want with King Jack. I think. Yeah. yeah. All right, the player on the hijack pushes all in for just over nine k in chips, and then folds back around to the under the gun player. After fiddling with chips for ten to fifteen seconds, the villain grabs raising chips and three bets me to seventeen k. Okay, well, now we can get out. We made our mistake, and we can get out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, first of all, the guy limped. So now he's either got one of two hands, not one of two hands, but he's basically got either a pair that he was hoping that he could set mine with, and now that he's got somebody all in and the dead money in the middle, he's going to take his stack and wield it and say, okay, I'm going to race this guy with my pair. Or he's got, you know, something that's like 
I don't know. To me, it seems like he's he's just isolating this guy because he thinks there's a lot of dead money in there, and he thinks his hand can win. So it feels like he's got some sort of a smallish pair. And now he's like, all right, you know what? Screw it. I was going to limp and hope I flopped a set, but now that I can isolate this guy, and I've got this one guy in the middle who seems to be, you know, that was a weak 6K bet to me. I'm going to come over the top of him, and now he's going to lay it down. And then I can go head-to-head with this guy with dead money in there with my little pair. That's what it feels like to me. So I still think we're we're folding. I don't think King Jack has any place in this hand now. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you that um, this very well could be a, hey, I'm going at the dead money, which means um, he, he might not be as strong as we think he is. And this is the classic, um, you know, my nothing can't beat your nothing. <laughs> you know, So we just don't have a strong enough hand to play back because it's very likely he could have aces or kings here too. I mean, his range is pretty wide now, right? right. So, And our hand's not very strong, so... I'm even less like excited about whatever the flop comes. I mean, I'm going to need two or more Broadway cards or two or more spades here to even feel comfortable at that point. And then at that point, so 17K, we call that's 34K plus the nine. That's 43 plus the blinds, so 45 in there. You know, his C-bet's going to be all his chips at that point, right? So, right. you know, the chances of us flopping Broadway or flopping a flush are ridiculous so at that point we, now if we call with that understanding that that's the only hand that we're really excited about now we're going to have to be comfortable with calling off our chips on a draw and i mean this is what i'm talking about this hand just spiraled out of control at this point so let's lick our wounds let's throw away our 6k um and at, at that point we're going to see the hands too right now so now you get some information anyhow even this is one of those cases where if you fold and you always wonder what he had. Now we're going to see it because the other guy's all in. So it. The worst case is you spent six k in a hand where you're going to get some information on how this guy's playing right now. And, and definitely the limp re-raise is information I want to know what that guy has. I don't ever want when when I get limp re-raise out of a pot from under the gun and I don't see the cards. That's a bad thing. But now this is a chance for me to see his cards and know what he what he limp re-raises with. And if we limped, it would have only cost us two k. Yep. Or if we folded, it would not have cost us a second. So there you go. <laughs> All right. Here says, uh, at this point, I'm wondering if the villain was going for the old limp raise with a premium hand and warning bells started going off in my head. This player has a tendency to limp in with some hands, but this is the first time I saw him come back over the top. I'm facing an additional 11,000 to win squiggly 45K, so I'm getting roughly 4 to 1 if I call, and I'd be left about 46K if I choose to call and then fold on the flop. I flop big, I stand to win a nice pot, and if I have to fold, I still have 23 big blinds and can look for a good double up spot. While I'm not thrilled with the situation, I decided to call with the intention of not proceeding uh, with any any further unless I flop big. Oof. Yeah, it's you know now now we're gambling a little bit more than I'm comfortable with here, but we'll see. Uh, going the flop, we have three way action with the one so- small sack all in, of course, a squiggly 56k in the pot. Effective stacks of squiggly 45,000. Flop comes Jack, 10, 4, Rainbow, and the villain, without wasting too much time, checks, which catches me a bit off guard. Hmm. That's interesting. If I go with my original thought that he had a medium to small pair and was just trying to get the dead money, then I'm shoving. I'm right. just, I'm getting it in. And if I think that he had aces... There's no reason for him to check there because if we called, he thinks that we have a decent hand and we should be able to 
call any bet he makes on that kind of a flop if we had like queens or kings. So um, if he was doing the old limp with aces and then re-raise later, then you know we're dead anyway. So if if we if we believe my initial thought was that he was doing the dead money thing with like a small medium pair, then I think I'm letting it go. I'm 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 letting all my chips in the middle here and and saying yeah. go ahead take all my children. But if um, if if I believe the guy because he said the warning bells went off in his head, so he should have folded before this flop. Um, but if he believes that the guy had a big pair, then obviously we're just going to check behind and hope we somehow hit king on the turn or another jack. Jack, yeah, uh, and get that free look at that card. Plus, you got somebody all in. A lot of times, people check it down anyway to just to, to get that guy out, and get closer to the money, even though it's still a lot of yeah. spots we're pretty money. far away from money though yeah so i mean it still happens though i mean people do still think that way so you never know but yeah at this point if i believe he had a medium pair and i was in my heart that's what i thought he had that i'm betting big or shoving i mean i guess here's the one out you would get here is you could make a reasonable like a half pot bet would be 20 what 28 ish yeah um and that would leave us with how much left? 17. We have 46, so 17. Yeah, that's kind of short. That's tough. I mean, I guess we could do a third pot bet maybe. And then if he raises, then we know that he, he was laying a trap, and then we're not committing all of our chips. Um, but I think, I, I, I think I'm better off. I think we're better off just shoving here. And, um, and if we get called and he has something like aces, we still have outs to beat him. Right, not a lot, but we have them. Yeah. But again, this goes back to why, this is what I'm saying, this is a tough situation to be in, right? Yeah. Anyway, and we didn't need to get in. We could have just folded this pre-flop, watched the fireworks without being involved. Now we're, we find ourselves in a tough situation against a guy that can knock us out of the tournament when we started this hand with a lot of chips. So it seems to me that the proper thing now is to shove, and I I feel more than fifty percent that that's uh, the best hand. And that's going to be the good play, and I'm going to you know get the dead money, and then maybe I'll end up winning the whole pot. Uh, but there's a possibility that he just is laying a trap for us, and bam. Yeah. All right, what do you do? Uh, all right. So our hero says, I think for a minute to decide, my opponent could have made the preflop move with ace king or possibly ace queen. And I decided to take one stab and bet out 12K. And then I primarily stared at the board, hoping to take it down there, but with occasional glances towards the villain. So that's kind of like that. The only other option, I think, is that small bet to see what happens. Right. Uh, our opponent uh, doesn't waste a long time and check raises to 30K. Yeah, see, what he's telling you is that he has... doesn't mean he necessarily has it, but he's telling you... I mean, he just... He's got 100k in front of him, and now he just bet a third of his stack on a check raise to you, and he limp raised earlier than that. I mean, he's trying to tell you he's got a big hand. Whether he does or not is is tricky, but yeah, whatever he has, he is right now. It's clear that all of his chips are getting in the pot, which means all your chips can get the pot if you're going to continue here. Right. Whether it happens right now or not, so now you got to decide whether you really want to put them all in here. And I, there are all kinds of warning bells going off here now, so. Um, th- this was the one out that we got to save ourselves. I mean, it's still possible that, you know, the reason I kind of like the shove beforehand is it takes away that, uh, it doesn't it, it give us the opportunity to fold a hand that could end up winning by the river, which is possible here. But since we went this route, 
I think we had to decide already in our mind that if we went that route, if we got raised, then that was it. We're done. Yeah. If not, if otherwise, if we if we were we were going to commit all of our ships here, we should have just shoved and not had to worry about this. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, at this point you have to fold. Yeah, you have to fold. I guess that's terrible. Uh, all right, here it says at this point I realized to proceed any further in hand would effectively put me all in, and I instantly have this feeling in my gut that I fell for the trap and blew off half my stack with King Jack. I go into the tank for about a minute and try to think back to the action of the hand, make sure I remember who bet what when. Think through some of his potential hands and then take a few moments to study the villain. While he has glasses on to prevent me from seeing anything in his eyes, I do notice that he's breathing extremely heavy. It is clearly nervous, and at that time I read it uh, I read as being very, really strong. In the heat of the moment, I convince myself that I most certainly had to be beat and not to go broke on King Jack. After thinking long and hard, I muck my hand, upset with myself for making a move with King Jack and blowing off half my stack. Much to my dismay, the short stack turns over 8-8, and our villain flips over the ace of spades, seven of spades, and I watch in shock as the board runs out clean, and I see a massive pot that I should have scooped. Oh. After having a chance to calm down, I think through the hand, I, re- I realize I missed a few key clues that would likely have led me to making the call or really pushing all in for my last five to ten K over what he raised. One is the betting line that villain took. After the limp raise, his likely range would have been queen-queen plus... Uh, Ace-King, and then the possibility of Jack-Jacks, who may be nines or eights, and possibly some weaker aces like Ace-Queen suited, Ace-Jack suited, and maybe or, uh, and maybe King-Queen suited. I discount Jack-Jack due to my blocker, and I feel tens through eights, Ace-Queen suited, Ace-Jack suited would be weaker play, unless he was mainly trying to three-bet three bluff to take it down pre-flop. After the flop, his check wouldn't make much sense for Ace-Ace, King-King-Queen-Queen. I'm not expecting to run into a set of Jacks, but he might check his set of Jacks or tens, hoping I would lead out. I feel with something like 10-10, he would have called my raise pre-flop to try to flop a set rather than going for the 3-bet. Ace-jack would be another hand that could beat me, but once again, the flop check doesn't make much sense. All their jacks except pocket jacks I beat. Based on the line he took, something like ace-king or a set of 10s would make the most sense, or else a low to mid-pair or complete air as a bluff. Against his overall range, I was actually likely good there with king-jack. Uh, the other thing I missed in the heat of moment were two potential tells. One is that after his flop check raise, I mentioned I saw him breathing heavily, which means he was very polarized to either a strong hand or a bluff, and he was unlikely to have a marginal-type hand. I didn't think about the fact that pre-flop, he was very relaxed and did not show any signs of anxiety or nervousness. If he had aces, king-king, or queen-queen, I think I would have noticed a heavy breathing or some type of non-relaxed behavior a little earlier, and not only when he went for the bluff check raise. In addition, and I could be reading a bit too much into this one, his check timing on the flop felt a bit suspicious after really thinking about it. He was planning the check raise. I would expect a really quick check that had been pre-thought out and to try to show a sign of weakness or a little more time to process what his move should be before checking. I felt I liked the way in which he checked. Really should have told me he was marginal at best, and therefore he didn't have a lot to consider when deciding to check. Although I felt like that was the one hand I seriously misplayed and it cost me a serious shot of the tournament right after that. Our table broke, and upon moving to the new table, blinds went up, leaving with me with only 10 big blinds. I tried to steal it to 5, 6 hearts, and it ran it ran into ace-ace to knock me out. Um, I, one of the things that I'll say is that when he talks about someone clearly being nervous, breathing heavily, I, I don't know. Any, I don't. I mean, I don't know about you, but I when I have the nuts, I am never nervous. I'm so relaxed because I can't lose. I'm never nervous. I know that the, even when you read Joe's book, Joe Navarro's Tells books and stuff, he talks about somebody has an unbelievably huge hand 
that their hands might shake because they're they're excited they're going to win money. But when you're in a tournament and you're about to win a pot, I'm relaxed. I know I'm not going anywhere. It's when I'm bluffing that I might give off. My heart races, at least in my chest, my heart might race because I'm bluffing. Or if I made a bet and I don't know if I have the best hand, sometimes I get a little nervous that someone's going to come over the top of me. But even then, once they do, then I relax because I'm like, okay, now i got to make a decision. I start thinking again. To me, I don't know anyone who gets so nervous they breathe heavily and, and nervous when they have the best hand. Uh, to me, it relaxes me. So I, I don't yeah, – I, I think sometimes, though, the only, the only time I'd argue with you is sometimes we get excited when we have a big hand or we're hoping to get a big pot out of it, right? Yeah. So you can be a little more excited. I'm not worried about being having somebody – Better over the top, and then have to make a decision, obviously, because I got the best hand. But I'm hoping that happens, and and that that time you tend to get a little excited about it. But, but generally speaking, I think you're right. Yeah, I mean the heavy breathing and heart racing is it doesn't nothing gets me that excited unless it's like I don't know if I'm going to win. But if I if I know I've got aces there, and I'm check raising him, it's hard to check raise bluff nervously. You know, it just seems like all the things he was doing there was that. You know, he. I mean, not bluff. I mean, he was bluffing. That was why he was nervous to me. And that that. So anyway, I think if he'd gotten back to what we were telling him to do was, hey, that guy checks to you, shove, right? That's what you should have done. And that's what probably where you really went wrong after you got involved in his hand. I think you should have shoved. Then you wouldn't have to worry about the make a small bet and then fold. You know, yeah, now you've. Exactly. You know what I mean? I would have just shoved. Um, but uh, that's a tough pot to play. Don't play King Jack. That's the lesson learned here. Yep. I think I said that at the beginning of the hand, yeah, I didn't think I? you did, too. <laughs> I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the table. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise... Send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.